Houston's Unfiltered. Here we go, here we go. A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. What up? What up, guys? Young Ari Gold here, Texans Unfiltered. Uh, we are back for another episode. I am joined, as usual, by my friend and co-host, John Wade, the Garnet Texan. John, what is going on over there? Not too much, man. How are you doing? I'm good, bro. I'm good. Yeah, I'm real good. Life's good. Life's happy. Life's happy. Wife's happy. Everything's great. That's that's everything. Life's happy. Or <laughs> life's happy, then life is happy. Happy wife, yeah. happy life. Yeah. Yeah, everything's good, man. I, I don't know. Just things are just a good day. Really good day. I was... Uh, today it was really weird. I uh, my buddy started a YouTube page like uh, like six months ago, and he started. A, it's called the Pursuit of Possibility, and so it's. John, are you going to be on? I hate when you're on your phone on the stream. It's so annoying. Why is this annoying? I'm trying to just tweet out that we're live. I don't know because every time I feel like I look up during the live stream, I like your your head's always down. That's yeah, possible. It is definitely. Anyways, uh, he started this thing. He, he, he started this um, uh, YouTube channel called The Pursuit of Possibility. And this guy's like the most positive guy I've ever met in my entire life. Really, just great guy. And his whole his goal was to be is to be a motivational speaker. And uh, we we've, we've become pretty good friends. And I was a mentor at Google. And uh, he was like, hey, and it's grown, it's grown really, really quick. And he's like, hey, I want to have you on. And uh, so I I was his first interview today, and we just talked about. Um, like positivity and mindset and determination, and then we talked about Kobe for like a solid twenty minutes. It was pretty cool, so I'm excited to see how that how that turns out. But other than yeah, today's just been a good day. This has been a good week. I'm uh, I'm excited to finish up the season recap, uh, kind of put 2019 behind us, and look forward. Um, I guess before we get into that, any thoughts on the Jalen Strong interview? So I think this is the one that's probably gonna the comment that's gonna create the most conversation where you said that (laughs) they respect him as a coach, but maybe not as a man. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of taken back by that. Um, But at the same time, it also wasn't necessarily surprising. Like, I I don't think if, if fans heard that, that would be somewhat surprising to them just because you see the way Bill O'Brien comes off, right? And we've seen, some of the moves that he's made, uh, at times emotional, right? Uh, JD, uh, Jalen, you know, probably a little emotion aspect, uh, Deontay Foreman, things like that. Uh, so not call, not resigning Kareem, whatever it would be. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was surprising. I, I think the biggest surprise I took away from him was the fact that he, he thinks this Texans offense is a top three offense in the league. Yeah, and that was the other thing that he even said that he thought Bill O'Brien was the one of the offensive genius of the leagues. So yep. there's there's respect there. Um, and even go back where I think he's talking about was when he also talks about how O'Brien plays mind games. That was interesting. That to me that's that's that old school coaching how they uh, how they used to motivate you. Uh, there was always famous stories about Jadavian Clowney when he was back at South Carolina. That's how they would motivate him. They'd say, hey, that guy over there, he said this about you, or he said that about you, or this guy over there says, um, like one of the things that 
uh, one of the Clemson offensive linemen said, oh, they're just – that defensive line is Jadavian Clowney and a bunch of nobodies. So they would really just feed into the locker room stuff. With how O'Brien is and his personality and how big his personality can be at some at times, I think that's probably what he kind of does. It's like, Jalen, you don't really want to be out here. I, I think he would say things like that. Like, Jalen, you don't look like you want to be out here. Jalen, it's like, if you, if you don't want to do, do this, just go home. Where you can kind of pick up with, especially like Strong, he had other things going on. And that's not the type, he needed positive reinforcement, not that negative, right. drag you down type thing. Like Brian Cushing, you could, you could say that too. And Brian Cushing is going to respond, right? Like, and this all goes back to just managing people in general, right? You have to know your audience and you have to know how they want to be led and how they want to be communicated towards. And if you can't be adaptable to each individual, then the chances of you being successful are, are very, very slim. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, he did say that OB is uh, considered one of the greatest offensive minds in the league. And, you know, I'm sure, like, whoever, any of the listeners or fans that were listening to it at that time when they heard that, I hope they weren't, like, drinking or smoking or anything like that because I guarantee you they choked. <laughs> yeah, I think there's you times you when we released the podcast. You timed that pretty good. So you didn't kill anybody accidentally. Right, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, other than that, you know, the biggest... All, granted, after all the CBD talk, they made them, you know, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, concrete flower. Why not? Concrete flower. Um, no, but, you know, it was cool for Jalen to come out. It, it was funny when, um, before we started, um, you know, he, he was uh, texting me and telling me that, like, hey, like, like if I'm going to do this, I, I don't, what I don't want to come off as, as, uh, bitter old player. He's like, I have a ton of friends still in the locker room that I talk to. Um, but I don't, that's not how I roll. I don't want to be known that way. And I told him, I was like, well, I was like, lucky for you, we're, we're an independent media. Like we're, we're not FS1, ESPN, uh, hot takes and like clicks or nothing that we've tried to garner. Like we just want to have organic relationship. And the relationship means more to me than being able to get 25,000 listens if you said something about, you know, whatever. And uh, he was like, that's, that's interesting. He's like, it's very rare that interviews happen like that. And I was like, well, it's kind of how we are. But um, yeah, I thought it was cool. Man. He was a very cool guy, very open. Um, took accountability for the early parts of his career in, in Houston. I think that that really shows his development and who he is as a man and, and where he's at now. A lot of people can't do that. I still have issues at times. I even mentioned it last night. There are times where I can't take accountability for certain things. I think a lot of people struggle with that, but for him to kind of own up to uh, what happened here, and I totally forgot about the uh, the drug charge uh, after his rookie season. I totally forgot about that. Um, hearing him talk about it, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was, I thought it was a good interview. The the audio quality on his phone was awful, um, but uh, it wasn't the roadcaster. So <laughs> I think maybe a little, maybe he was uh, had a little too much CBD that day, but. Um, it, it was it was awesome. I mean, he was a great dude, and he said he'd do it anytime. So, all right, let's get into uh, this 2019 recap. We ended last week's podcast with the biggest disappointment, in my opinion, as far as the loss to the Carolina Panthers. Um, we recapped the off season, free agency additions, the draft, um, Brian Gaines being fired, uh, and then went through the first four games of the season. So let's hop into. Uh, where we are now, which is week five, 
against the Atlanta Falcons uh, at NRG, and this was the this was the game that I think every Texans fan at some point thought they would see this season from an offensive standpoint. Uh, but we didn't see it consistently enough through these first four weeks for us to think that this was a possibility. And um, I mean, Deshaun yeah. was on fire. It was arguably our most complete game. Um, even with some of the other wins that we had against bigger teams, like we just straight out went it. And to put it quite bluntly, we just dominated the Falcons. Yeah, and I, that kind of goes back to, like, and I asked, I asked Jalen about it yesterday. You know, it, it just goes back to the biggest frustration with this fan base right now is just the fact that you don't know which Texans offense you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get a consistent team that shows up every week and is able to put up 53 points against the team, or if you're going to get a team that, you know, against Carolina put up a total of 10 points. So I really think that that part of the fandom right now is, is the frustration. You, you know that they're able to do these things. You know they're capable of doing these things. Uh, the fact is that it just never happens. Or no, sorry, it doesn't happen consistently. And I, I, I understand that sentiment. I mean, I get it. Like, we have the talent on offense. There's no reason for us to not be able to put up points whenever we need to, but the lack of being able to do that this season was really the most frustrating part about this team. Yeah, and it was interesting what he said, and it's something that we've actually kind of talked about, A, how hard the NFL just is. Like, it's hard. These are guys out there that are working for their paycheck as well. Like, they're not going to go over there and just roll over because you're supposed to be the better team. And then he – the next one, it wasn't very surprising. He talks about how just all the little things, how they tie into each other, how your game plan gets thrown out the window if somebody gets a false start or or if you don't run a kickoff back where you expect it to. And then the thing to me that was actually very, very telling is he kind of put it, when he talked about Bill O'Brien, was just having all the right pieces in play. And, again, a player said that. A player that was cut by this this guy said that with Bill O'Brien, it's like sometimes he doesn't have all the pieces in play. Like one injury just throws everything off. Well, for me, that was the, like, the, the biggest actual takeaway for me, like outside of the shocking parts of it, was the fact that when I made, when I made the statement slash question about um, him wanting power, and, and his ultimate goal was just to have power or him being able to at least just get the players he wants in the offense. I said that I think it's really more about him being able to get the pieces he believes he needs. And he agreed completely with that statement and said that, that he agrees 100% and, and said, you know, Texans fans are going to have to give him another two years to see what he's capable of as his GM. Um, I thought that was very telling. It's something I've personally been screaming for the last two years is the fact that I think that he has an offensive philosophy in his mind that he he needs certain pieces to be able to execute at the level that he wants to. And I think this season the expectations were so high because we started to see what those pieces would look like together. The issue was that we just didn't see it consistently. 
But when the team put it together consistently, it was like, holy shit, like this team is, this is, this is a real team. Um, and then he called him a Super Bowl contender, which from the outside looking in for somebody that's been in the locker room, uh, you could tell that there wasn't a personal grievance against Bill O'Brien when he talked. And you could hear that he, he truly believes that. He has no reason to say that outside of the fact that he thinks that that's the case. I mean, he thought Deshaun would be MVP this year. Um, so he obviously thinks highly of the team. But um, I think he also expected this Atlanta game, right? This is this is what we all expected from this team, especially with the acquisition of Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. Right, definitely. I mean, it went in, I think we were even trailing at halftime. Um, like the first half was actually very terrifying. We were like, oh, no, <laughs> not again. Um, and then the third quarter we just came out and straight up waxed them. And the second half it felt like every time we touched the ball we were going to score. And good things just started to happen and they just start, things just started to flow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Deshaun had a good game. Um, the offense as a whole had a good game. So, uh, all right, let's move on to week six. And that was the Kansas City Chiefs at Kansas City. And just also, a reminder, we were we were four and two going into this game against the Chiefs. Four and two going into this game. Um, and this schedule, when we looked at this schedule before the season started, we thought week six, seven, eight, no. Sorry, it was four, five, six, and seven that we thought if we could at least come out of those games winning three out of the four, we would be good. Um, so just keep that in mind. But this is also this is the Kansas City game, week six in, in at Arrowhead, uh, also known as the ankle game, the game where um, uh, – Taylor, we had uh, Jalen Strong on the uh, podcast yesterday. So um, you can find that on any of your podcast platforms. Thanks, Eric. Um, so, yeah, this is also known as the ankle game, right? This is where the narrative was written that, of course, the Texans beat the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes wasn't 100%. Um, there was a built-in excuse already. And the fact of the matter is the Texans actually – handled the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, they were down 14, um, and they came back and put a whooping on them. Yeah. It was one of those where Fuller could have ended up having three touchdowns. Yep. They could not stop Carlos Hyde. DeAndre could have had one. DeAndre, yeah, DeAndre could have had one. And it was, again, the offense just continued to click from the second half of the Falcons game and then they took a break in the first quarter of the uh, Chiefs game, and then they just started rolling right after that. And that first quarter wasn't even – usually when we say our offense takes a break, it's on Deshaun, but that wasn't on Deshaun. That was on Fuller dropping several easy passes. Like, we had talked about, oh, it had seemed like it almost a year since the last time Fuller had dropped a pass, and, you know, he got all of his drops out of the way in the Chiefs game. Yeah, I mean – so to end the first quarter, the Texans were down 14 and 17 to three, and then they answered in the second quarter with 20 unanswered points. Uh, Kansas City put up a goose egg in the second quarter. In the third quarter, it was a touchdown by the Chiefs, and then in the fourth quarter, the Texans scored eight. So it was 31-24 to finish the game. Deshaun Watson. This is the game I remember. This podcast very specifically. If you look at the stats you would think that Deshaun Watson had an awful game. 
he, he was 30 of, or not an awful game, just an average game. He was 30 for 42, so he was very accurate. He only threw for 280 yards and had one touchdown and two interceptions. Um, but he also potentially should have had another three or four touchdowns with Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins. So, um, I mean, this was the game I think the fan base as a whole was saying, okay, now we're ready. Now it's time. This this is this is the win that we've been looking for for the season, right? We haven't really played a ton of top tier teams uh, outside of the Saints, and this is where the fan base was started to build a little confidence. Would you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. This was the game where we kind of thought. Right now, there's a South Carolina our South Carolina offense coordinator. He's started this little um, thing on Twitter. Uh, the worm has turned. The equivalent for the Texans that the worm has turned would have been this game, this, the Chiefs game. This is the game where all of a sudden we went from being, you know, the almost team to a team that might actually be able to do something. We put a, a game plan together against the Chiefs that, I mean, it looked really, really great. Not only to go into Arrowhead and to almost, I mean, not almost blow them out, but there was a very good chance that we should have blown them out. But we got the win. And, yeah, there was, it was a little bit dramatic. If anybody watched Instagram Live afterwards, you, you saw you saw James's reaction, and it's pretty classic. But this is a game that really made us start to look like a top-tier team in the AFC. Granted, we would forget that many times during the season, but th- this was the first one. So we went in Kansas City, we head out to Indianapolis, and then the fan base comes back down to earth a little bit because Jacoby Brissett decides to shred our defense, throwing for 326 yards and four touchdowns. This is Deshaun Watson's first back-to-back two-interception game. He did not have a good game, uh, and the offense continued to struggle in the first half, uh, zero points again in in the first quarter. Um we lost to the Colts 30 to 23. This was, even though Deshaun wasn't amazing, uh, this was a game where you looked at the defense again and you're like, geez, really? Like, is this going to be, is this going to, is this what we can come to expect? And what we saw from the defense this season was a, a, just an up and down thing. There'd be games where they could play like the Chiefs and they were stopping. Lonnie was on Kelsey doing a great job. Um, and then you had the Colts the following week and you were just like, dude, what, what the hell? Yeah, this was the uh, the first of the, if Kiki starts, we lose games, um, and Kiki started, and we lost. It was one of those, and it's not to throw it on Kiki, but it start, started to show almost the over-reliance on Will Fuller within the offense, um, within the offensive game plan. And 23-30 to 30 against a Indianapolis Colts team that also would beat the Chiefs, that prior to injuries just kind of wrecking them, we thought that they would be our biggest challenge to the AFC South that year. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but the Colts walked away with the W. Uh, so then we go on to uh, week eight. We are playing the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, this game, I don't know. It, I mean. It was ugly, but we won. That's how yeah. I it. Yeah, it was ugly, but we won. Derek Carr decided to shred us with yards. Um, 
we bottled up Joshua Jacobs, which we tended like we we were doing all year. Um, we, we were we were pretty good against the run, um, but the offense was just eh. We put up 27 points. We ended up beating the Las Vegas Raiders 27 to 24. Deshaun had uh, 279 yards, three TDs, no interceptions. Carlos Hyde had a good game. Uh, Duke Johnson, I believe, had a good game. He had four receptions. Um, this was, I mean, this was an ugly win, but at the end of the day, like, you won. It was ugly, but it was a win. That's Yeah. My mom's on the stream. She's so excited. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, she even gave me a little kissy face emoji. Um, I love my mom. Can't wait to see you next week. Um, uh, anyways, um, so, yeah, so we beat the Raiders, uh, and then that's kind of that. Now we're getting to the latter part of the of the schedule, uh, week nine at Jacksonville. This is the game where – you know, we're, we're overseas. We're playing the Jags in London. And everybody showed up to play. This is – and it's funny because this is the first time that we played overseas. And, um, you know, there was a lot of narratives that could go around as far as teams when they played overseas. It was, you know, they could be lackadaisical. Uh, they were suffering from jet lag. Um all sorts of things, right? And the Jags pretty much play in London every year this next season. They're actually playing two games in London uh, as they are going to start to, in my opinion, start to move in the direction of being relocated overseas. That's another almost, conversation. You know, just day. like a little side comment on that. I almost feel bad for them because you know they're going to go two this year, and then in a year or two they'll go three, and then they'll go four. And at that point they're just they never have a home field advantage. I feel bad for Jacksonville fans because you pretty much just doomed your franchise for the next foreseeable future. Um, I mean, yeah. losing two home games a year, that's absolutely ridiculous. I cannot believe any franchise would actually agree to do that unless they are doing exactly what they always accuse the McNairs of doing, and that's just chasing dollar signs. Well, and what is the baseball teams that are splitting uh, – they're splitting home games? Um, there was – The Montreal – is not the Montreal Expo, sorry. There was talk about the Rays doing that with Montreal, but I don't, think, I don't think it actually is going to happen. So I remember them talking about it, but St. Uh, Petersburg got very, very upset. I, I think that's just interesting because, like, if the Jags, like, the Jags have a hard time selling seats now. Well, right. yes, we do feel bad for the Jags fans because they are a great, uh, well, nah, we can go back. They were great when they were losing. They were very when they're, when they're not When they're not winning, they're a great fan base. When they're winning, they're <laughs> somewhat insufferable. Uh But uh they're, they're having a hard time selling seats. So, you know, if they ended up going to a split, and that kind of being the case, uh, I, I could see it just that. I, I don't know if they'll fully relocate overseas, but I could see them uh, doing a split just because they, they're building a fan base in London and because of the money. Yeah, at the end of the day, like Shad Khan is a very, very – I don't think people realize how uh, how smart Shad Khan is as a businessman and what he's capable of doing, um, and that's what that would be. All right. So anyway, Jacksonville game. We're playing in, over in London. Uh, we uh, we we showed up and we decided that we were going to whoop them, and we did twenty six to three. 
Defense played well. Gardner Minshew looked like a uh, like the high school version of Case Keenum. And, I mean, we, we beat the Jags. Uh, Duke Johnson, yep, big game, five receptions for 68 yards. It's so funny. Have you guys noticed, noticed the trend here? I'm not looking at the score. I'm looking to see how involved Duke Johnson is before I actually. Because <laughs> then I know. I know. If Duke Johnson's involved, I'm pretty sure that we had a great game that day. You know, because uh, Duke Johnson is the only part of our um, our running back group that we know will for sure be back this year. We somehow yeah. gotta we've got to spin some merch around the idea of in Duke we trust because, like we said throughout the playoffs, only good things happen when Duke touches the ball. That's a very good shirt in Duke we trust. And then you should like play, and then on the back it should be his receptions per game. On wins. So that <laughs> yeah, <we're> no <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So we beat Jacksonville at Wembley Stadium. Um, I, I have heard murmurs that we'll be over in London yet again uh, this next year, but um, I, I don't know for sure, but something that I saw uh, come across. But uh, all right. So we beat Jacksonville. Then, well, the bye happens. And then I don't know if we need to talk too much about week 11. Um, Oh, you know, let's talk about week 11 a little bit, John. So week 11, we play Baltimore. Um, we lose 41-7. to 7. It's literally, it's one of the worst games as an organization that we've played in general. Um, and that's going back to the expansion year when we had nobody. Um, this, this, this game was just embarrassing, right? I remember the podcast prior. I was expecting us to show up. I really thought that this was going to be the game where it's like, okay, uh, you know, we showed against the Saints. We showed against the Chiefs. Um, I was like, all right, we're, you know, we'll be fine. And then it was well, literally we, nothing. We had everything to kind of back it up. We've always played better after the bye. The Ravens were on this, this high because they're the Ravens and they've just been steamrolling everybody this year. The thought process was if you could get Lamar Jackson to throw the ball, you could beat them. That was what we're, we were supposedly kept designed to be able to do is to get him to start throwing because if you were going to attack our defense, it was going to be through the air. And, you know, we have enough firepower on offense where we should have been able – I mean, granted, we, we scored one opening drive touchdown all season, not including the playoffs, but – we should have been explosive enough to go out there and put up some points and to make them throw the ball. And it was just one of those games that Bill O'Brien, I swear, has won or two every single year where just all the bad things start happening and everything just steamrolls downhill. And that's the best way to describe the Ravens. Just couldn't get going. It's not necessarily that they quit, but no matter what they tried to do, they just couldn't get in gear. I I am somewhat of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to this game. I I think that I think there's a couple things that happened. One, I think uh, I think the team and Bill O'Brien were looking more at the Thursday night game against Indianapolis as that had more implications on the division. So I think Thursday was a more important game to them. Two, I think that how do I phrase this without sounding crazy? I think that they knew there was a good chance they were going to play the Baltimore Ravens in the playoffs. Uh, the, the Ravens were expected to finish as a top seed at that point in the season. At, at that point in the season, the Baltimore Ravens 
were, were looked at as the best team in the NFL. They were destroying teams left and right. Um, so I, I almost wonder if that game was somewhat tanked and they just kind of let the Ravens. I think at, in the first quarter, it was like, all right, let's see what we can do. And then, ah, okay, we're just going to let them kind of go. It didn't look like Deshaun was engaged. It didn't look like the defense was engaged. There was a lot of parts of this that um, it just didn't look like the same team in a lot of different ways. Um, also, John, we need to take a step back. Week six, we tr- or yeah, week six we traded uh, a third round pick that we received in the Jadavian Clowney deal for Gary and Conley, uh, quarterback out of Ohio State. If you've been a fan of the podcast, and you must be if you're on here, unless you're Taylor Bates, that means you did not listen to the Jalen Strong interview. Uh, and shame on you for that. Uh, but, um, yeah, so we traded for Gary Conley, huge Gary Conley fan, huge Gary Conley fan when he was coming out. Um, I thought this guy was going to make a huge impact. FYI, he makes a huge impact the entire season. Yeah, um, it's one of those that at the beginning of the season, had we made the trade for, for Gary Conley and Jacob Martin, pretend they're on the same team. Uh, for Clowney, plus the third-round pick, and, you know, Mingo, Bark Bark. Um, God, that's <laughs> awful. That's bad, dude. That's, that, that you know, you don't, you, for somebody who says they never criticize players and that they have a hard time doing it, and then to bark twice, <laughs> I don't know if you could have done anything more, like, that was probably the worst thing you could have done when it came to a player. But we'll let that go. Go ahead. I'm just going to save that soundbite. I'm going to save the soundbite. I'm going to put it on the roadcaster, and I'm going to play that each time. Oh, there's, like, there's like one time bark, a year bark. where I criticize a, pl- a player, and, you know, I mean, Barcavius, like, we just got to roll with it. And I'm sure it's – he's probably heard the joke a million times, too, because of his name. Whatever. I don't give a shit. I also – I hope you didn't create it. Because if you created it, because <laughs> at the end of the day, guys, still six two two ninety. Yeah, no, no joke. He's still an NFL player. He's still probably one of the top athletes in the entire world. But when you actually kind of look how the trade shaped, sure. shaped up, and what we got out of Conley, like it makes the trade look less disgusting. I'm, that's the best way I can put it. It doesn't make it look good, but it makes it look less disgusting. And that's just to kind of put the emphasis on how good of a player Conley ended up being for us. And he'll probably be our number two corner for the foreseeable future. He's not a number one. He's not going to be our... Well, I, I mean, I hope he is. But I think he is a, I think he is a number one. Well, but do you have your opinion? I have mine. That's okay. I mean, I hope he is, but I didn't see enough out of him to to see him transitioning into being our number one guy on number one receivers because he did a great, great job of, second de- of shutting down the second receiver. And that's a huge jump to go from taking on the second receiver to taking on the number one receiver. But maybe, who knows? I mean, you were right about Roby, so maybe you know more about corners than I do, which is entirely possible. However, to have a guy that... Looks like he's going to be our number two corner for at least two years, probably considerably longer than that. Yeah, and he's going to be a solid one at that. He's going to be above league average, above league average. Well, here's the reason why I think that he will be um, a number one corner for us. A lot of it has to do with the fact that when he was with the Raiders, he was playing uh, a lot of zone, which he's not a zone corner. And then – 
So he spent all training camp with Las Vegas Raiders, played a ton of zone, uh, was asked to do a lot of different things, then came in midseason, was asked to learn a new system, and um, performed at an extremely high level. Uh, so part, that's the part that makes me think another uh, a tra- OTA's training camp with this team, I think he'll he'll be a solid corner. He's got the build to be a solid corner. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. There's a reason why he was a first round pick. He has yeah. all the physical talent. It's just putting uh, it all together. Well, when you look at the Clowney trade, I think it's it, I think it's something that definitely needs to be put into. Um, I can't think of the word. This is where you always come into perspective. Help me perspective. Um, at first, we blasted the Clowney trade. Blast. I mean. I've never been more upset with Bill O'Brien in my life than that day. I was I was upset. I was emotional. I was so pissed off because I felt like we got nothing. And it wasn't about us trading Connie, which, yes, I did want to keep him. It was just how the whole situation ended up to where we were not able to maximize his value. And that will be forever something that is on Bill O'Brien's resume in my mind. But oh, I definitely agree. Day, I mean, but we, I think, we've talked about it at length. Everybody knows where we stand. We're not happy about the trade. We're not even happy after we got Conley for it because there was still value in the trade that we did not get. And that's the part that I will forever hang on to. But when I think about the trade now, looking at it from um, when I look at the trade as Martin Mingo, third-round pick, and then now that third-round pick turning into Conley, the trade is a lot easier to digest. Uh, Jacob Martin at times flashed at an extremely high level, um, and he's working on the areas of his game as we speak that he needs to work on, um, which is being able to be a three-down player. He's going to get with Cushing? Oh, oh. Uh, okay. John's on one tonight. That's awesome. All right. Um, but anyways, yeah. So Jacob Martin, he's for real training with Cushing. Like, that's, I'm not making that up. Maybe oh, I know, little I know. gestures for the live feed people can kind of put their own thought on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, the trade is definitely more digestible. All right, so let's get back into the season. So then after getting blown the F out by the Baltimore Ravens and getting ran all over, uh, on four days rest we needed to play the Indianapolis Colts in a big-time in-division uh, uh, matchup on Thursday Night Football. To me, this is the game where I thought, okay, they can still they can still make some noise. Uh, Deshaun had a, 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 a much better game, even though statistically it doesn't look like it was probably his least accurate game he had of the season. Uh, but they were able to squeak out a win on four days rest and win twenty to seventeen against Indianapolis at home. Um, I thought it was a very impressive win, given the circumstances of the blowout, four days rest, and it also being a division rival. Yeah, I mean, this was, we essentially broke the cold season with this game. This was a game that at the time the Colts were still threatening. Um, they were still, I think, they were right behind us for the division lead. They looked like they weren't going away, and this game broke them. This is when their season started to snowball. So it was nice that we got to do that to them for once. Um, and yeah. Watson did exactly what he needed to do to get us through that game. It's one of those games where you can actually argue that we won one without Deshaun being the most dominant player out there. But that's only if you look at stats. If you actually remember watching the game, 
we don't win that game without Watson. Yep. No, I agree. It's just one of those games where it's like you know you needed a win. Team responded after coming out off of a blow off and a win that was needed to us for us to be able to win the division uh, on four days rest, and they they took care of business. Uh, Giovanni. And, and I just I still love how they took care of business. They took care of business where they ended the cold season and gave the Titans the opening that they needed. Yep, absolutely. Um, Giovanni Ruiz, do you think that we'll re- we should restructure Conley's contract? No, nah, I think it's like a $10 million hit with a fifth-year option, right? I-, I believe. Or is it, no, is it his fifth-year option this year? No, that's Hargraves. No, no, no. Hargraves, Hargraves has to be restructured. Hargraves is yeah. not worth $8.8 million. Now, Conley, Conley, this is fourth year, though, right? This season. Con- yeah, Conley, this is still his fourth year. We have two years of him guaranteed. Yeah. And yeah, they'll extend them. Yeah, let's catch them out. I agree. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, all right, so let's get to what I think uh, for Texans fan was probably, I would say, the biggest win in franchise history um, in the regular season against the New England Patriots. John and I uh, made it, I, I made a trip out of it. We went down there um, and drove down on a Sunday night for this game. Uh, we got with some uh, some listeners beforehand at Twin Peaks, which if anybody is ever wanting to get drinks with me, Twin Peaks is my spot. I enjoy 37 or 29 degree cold beer, whatever it is. It's really cold and it's frosty. Um, so the Patriots game. Oh man, I remember I remember everything about this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, re- I remember everything about this game. I remember you and I both sitting there. Saying to ourselves, with 47 seconds left, that this game is not over yet, and a lot of that just had to do with the Patriots' mystique. Um, the Texans manhandled the Patriots after the opening drive by the Patriots. From that point on, the Texans did everything they were supposed to do. Uh, if you look at Brady's stats, he threw for some yards, and you're, you were going to do that against this defense at that time. But everything was underneath; nothing was open downfield. Um, and Deshaun, the, the offense was the play that stood out to me this season was the deep ball to Will Fuller that he didn't control and was not able to get the touchdown. And then Bill O'Brien saying, okay, so you guys weren't able to stop that. I'm literally going to run the same play like it's Madden. The only difference is going to be I'm going to have Kenny Stills run that route. And you're not going to be able to stop it. And that's literally what happened. I mean, it's very rare that you see those types of plays happen back-to-back. And Bill O'Brien just hit the X button on the controller, and boom, they uh, they scored. And it, to me, that that's really the position or the play that I, it stands out in my mind for the season on offense that was like, why the fuck can't you do this every week? No kidding. And where did that play go the rest of the season? They brought out a bunch of formations that they didn't use the rest of the form, not as much as they probably should have the rest of the season. I don't want to say they went away completely, but they were doing some things with three tight ends out there. They were doing some things um, with some of the deep passes. And Duke Johnson ate him alive. Ate him alive. It was a Duke Johnson game, and when it was a Duke Johnson game, the passing game essentially went through him to open up the deep passes, and it worked so beautifully against the number one defense in the league in the Patriots. Where on earth was it when, I don't know, when we get to the playoffs, we'll kind of discuss that. 
if I have one criticism of, well, not well, I have a lot of criticisms though, Brian. Let's, but my number one would start with is like, hey man, why would you stop using Duke Johnson when every time you did we won? Yeah, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair criticism. It's, it's just, I, I, I don't get it because I remember at the beginning of the year and Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde were kind of talking about, well, why are y'all working better here in Houston than y'all did in Cleveland? And Carlos Hyde, and one of the things that I liked about him was he said, you know, they're giving Duke the right amount of touches here. They never did that in Cleveland. Yeah, no, and, and we saw this season. I mean, we saw – we we saw exactly what happens when Duke has the ball in his hand and when he's a part of the game plan. It, 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 Duke Johnson, we, we said it when the trade happened that we thought that that was going to be the biggest move made this offseason. Um, we believed that that is exactly what this team has been missing on offense, was a third down back that has the ability to do anything and everything on the field when he has the ball in his hand. And we saw it this season. Every time he had well, – there was a number. I forgot what the number was. I think it was like four receptions or something like that. Um, I think the Texans won or something close to that. Um, and, yeah, this offense just looks a, a lot better when Duke Johnson is built into the game plan. All right, let's move on to another game, uh, Swan's favorite game, uh, the Denver Broncos game. You know, was, if we had beat the Chiefs, we had the perfect shirt. Perfect shirt. That we'd be oh man! Tell me, you fucking suck too. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That would have been great. I, I just want to get a you, picture of him doing that, like doing this, you know, and then, like get it, mouth get it with the vector graphics, have it underneath, and I would have, I would have loved to have worn that to the AFC Championship game. That's like a bar. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it, it didn't it didn't work out. But yeah, this is the game where that came from. And you know what? We sucked. So the fact that he Bill Bryan at least acknowledged it with the two because we definitely sucked. Yeah, Drew Locke is the most punchable face quarterback in the league right now. He's got to take that over from Philip Rivers. Because I don't know well, Philip Rivers may continue to play. Granted, Drew Locke may still be there. And, I, I, you know, part of me, because I follow uh, University of Texas football, is just remembering them in the Texas Bowl and him doing that little backpack shimmy. Dude, I'm, that still burns my skin. And so I cannot believe that he came in against Romeo Cornell, who used to always be good at just messing with rookie quarterback mind, minds. And just lit us up. Lit so, us up. Drew Locke for me, um, I think he could have had a, a punchable face for me. But then the video released of him singing uh, Young Jeezy put on on the sideline. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to think about punching Drew Locke in the face just because I thought that was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen a quarterback have. Um, hey, real quick, let's go on a tangent. How about um how about Baker Mayfield getting head by a gargoyle in Cleveland in the in in the in the back of a cheesecake factory? 
I mean, honestly, I, I was on Twitter and I was messing around. <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, like, I was like, I can't believe this isn't a thing, right? If it was a black quarterback, the story would be everywhere. This would have been the story. ESPN would have it. If Cam Newton did this, oh boy. But it's Baker, so they let it go. But what if somebody responded to me and was like uh, talking about the chick, and I said, if that's what the celebrity life is like in Ohio, I'll pass. And then somebody, <laughs> and then somebody responded and said, yeah, I can't believe he would risk it all for that. And I said, no shit. I would. I think I could have found a prettier woman under 45 in Gulf Bank in, in uh, Houston. Uh, that was living under the freeway that was cuter than that. I mean, <laughs> God, Baker Mayfield is by far the biggest douchebag in the entire world. And, I mean, Baker's I mean, fiance or wife or whatever she is now, she's very, very attractive. Ah, uh, she's cute. I don't know about very attractive, but that, that's your that's, no, that's your that's your that like that's the kind of girl you you like. So I, I get it. She's pretty. Wait, what is that supposed to mean? The type of girl that I like? I don't like. I don't. <laughs> a white woman has to be extremely beautiful for me to think that uh, I get to like a white I, white girls. Just it's just not. That's I, I don't. I, it's very rare that I find uh, white girls attractive, but. Um, you know, Scarlett Johansson's like one of them, but outside of that, it's 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 not. But Baker Mayfield, uh, yeah, I can see it. I mean, she's cute. She looks good in the in the commercials that he's in there with her. You know, mowing the lawn or whatever it would be. A, a real man needs to mow his own lawn. Fuck out of here, Baker. You're such you're so trash. Uh, but uh, I I just thought that I thought that whole thing is just too funny. Um, okay, sorry Taylor. Okay, look, there there are some pretty white women out there. That's just not my thing. That's all there is to it. I like a little. Uh, I like a little uh, spice. Um, all right. So back to. Back oh man. Off the no, guard. I had cleaner, but. That's what I'm saying, dude. And here's the part that people aren't talking about the the most. This was behind a cheesecake factory. Okay, we're not talking about like meet up with me in a hotel. Or I'll have my driver pick you up. No, this dude, I watched the entire 35-minute interview with this girl on something called Rover Radio today. And he, she says that, um, that she came, saw Range Rover, met up with her, uh, made, her leave his, made her leave her phone in the car. She got in the front seat. They started talking. Then they moved to the back, and he just pulled it out. And she gave him head. And then, that was it. And then the best part about this radio show is they talked about how, because she had a picture of his schlong. And these guys, <laughs> we're talking about it and, like, how tiny it is, but then how it had a curve. <laughs> I'm dead serious. It was a 35-minute interview, but then a the only reason the only show. reason that I'm gonna, that I, I'm I'm entertaining this uh this offshoot of a conversation is because you know fuck Baker Mayfield um he is not better than the shot <laughs> like that no. needs to die so I'm all for turning into the Browns into our rival and I don't I don't mean to trash a, a girl for the way she looks. And but 
this girl, I mean, she just, like, she's on that radio show. She's just falling out of everything, and she's probably had a couple of drinks before she came into that. Now, honestly, Baker, I mean, come on, dude. So the radio show goes, and this this girl calls in. And another one calls in. And it's the same story. It's the same story. Meets at the Range Rover and and another parking lot. And Baker just has this oral fixation, I guess. He he really likes gargoyles and and oral fixations are like his thing. And he just, okay. Anyway. We should probably mark this episode as let's, uh, let's, let's, not not trash, let's not trash the poor trashy girls anymore. Okay, than but they're all that you have. I mean, you you saying <laughs> non-trashy trashy girls doesn't make it any better. Uh, I hope your I hope your I hope your uh, father-in-law isn't listening to this episode. We're gonna have to mark this episode NFSW uh, before I upload this tomorrow. Now, so yeah, no doubt. No all right, let's I move just, on. I just showed my dad how to actually download it and, and listen. Apparently, and he hadn't listened. You know, we've only been doing this for four years. And he was like, so how does this podcast thing work? I'm like, Dad, you teach me how to use all the Apple stuff. Like, you're the first one in line to get the Apple stuff, and you can't find a podcast for your own son. Yeah. If, um, if, it, was, if it was one of my brothers, he would have downloaded it in like three years. No. <laughs> Well, my mom's on, on the on the live stream, so I got to talk about that stuff with while my mom's on here. That's pretty cool. Um, all right, we'll move on now. Um, all right, so we we get blown out by the Denver Broncos. Blah blah blah. Um, it was an awful game. Cream Jackson had the best game of his career and and got suspended for PEDs. Um, kind of interesting. Honestly, did he maybe just use PEDs during that game? I mean, because that game he looked like freaking Superman. Yeah, I mean, it was a statement game, so if he if he talked to Chris before he went out there, you know, just just so he had a little bit more to, I mean, I could definitely see it. Are, are you, are, are we going to start, are like, is Cush a dealer? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's a joke. Everybody thinks this. I have a picture of Cush on my wall. I love him. Like, I, I seriously do. But I'm just running with the joke that everybody else on Texans Twitter goes with. That okay. If you need it, go talk to Cush. Granted, <laughs> If you do need, like, the legal stuff, because everything's over at he, – he's big on on it here in Austin. Apparently, yeah. he's got – this is where he works out. So, I mean, we ever, if we ever still went down to South Congress, we'd probably still see him. But, you know, I'm not trying – I'm not trying to trash him. I'm just joking. Okay. All right. Well, now you guys know where to go get it from. Um, all right. Uh, week 15, Tennessee Titans at Tennessee – uh, the Texans win 24-21. Deshaun Watson, quiet game, 243 yards, two TDs, also another two-interception game. Uh, Carlos Hyde runs wild. DeAndre Hopkins has his, you know, DeAndre Hopkins-type game. Uh, Duke Johnson is not involved, and that is why we only win by three points. Um, we bottled up Derrick Henry for 86 yards. Uh, yes, he still had four yards per carry, but if anybody watched Derrick Henry play this year, you would know that uh, 86 yards, holding Derrick Henry to 86 yards is a win in almost every category. Um, so we beat the Titans. Boom, boom. We move on to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was like the weirdest game ever. 
Um, I was whale watching when this ha- when this game was going on, so I had to watch it after. Uh, I listened to it on the radio, but yeah, I mean, the, what was it? I think Jameis threw for Jameis threw for four interceptions. Okay, but he threw for like, but he threw for like a billion yards. And I'm, not even, I'm not exaggerating that. He threw for... Look at this. Everybody look. This uh, is when you know... Him through. Did he come through? Nope. What? Come on. How about now? Still nothing. Damn it. Well, if you go to the Google stats <laughs> of this game, in the interception category, no joke, it has a hyphen symbol, not a number. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally not kidding. It has a hyphen. There's no number there. He threw for two in the first quarter, or three, um, and yet this offense of the Houston Texans did nothing. Deshaun Watson was 19-32 for 184 yards, zero TDs, one interception. Carlos Hyde only ran for 27 yards and had one TD. We only won this game because Jameis didn't know how to throw to his teammate. Yeah. I mean, Jameis almost threw back-to-back pick sixes. I, it, that was just an absolute crazy game. Our defense actually won us the game. We, I remember, I mean, I was driving from Austin to Nashville and trying to watch the game, and God help anybody if you're in Tennessee. I don't. I don't understand. Tennessee is about as bad as as bad as I don't. Just bad internet, cell phone, whatever. And the Bucks defense is really, really good, as Tyler is pointing out. Tyler Bates, the Bucks defense, no joke. And you know, it was a very, very frustrating game. I remember reading on Twitter that there was a lot of fear that Deshaun Watson was playing through a strained Achilles. And I, the, he just was not accurate at all. And this wasn't even – and there was times where he even had time to throw and players were open, and he would miss them by a good country mile. It was just one of those weird Deshaun games where they've talked about it before with Deshaun. There's moments where he is an, almost a surgical precision passer and then just out of nowhere – He's hitting the Gatorade cooler, and this was a Gatorade cooler game. Yeah, that that game as, as a whole on the offensive side was just awful. I mean, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, their front four is really good, and that that showed in the run game. Uh, they were also they were able to get after Deshaun, um, but their secondary and their linebacking core is not. They're average, and we should have been able to take advantage of matchups. This was one of those games where you look and you look at Duke Johnson's stats, and you're like, "Hmm, okay, very interesting." That's probably why we weren't moving the ball very well, uh, as we weren't keying in on a matchup that should have been exposed very early on. In Bill O'Brien's defense, the few times that I remember watching Deshaun try and hit Duke Johnson, it was either at his ankles or five yards the other direction. Correct. Yeah, Deshaun was off. Uh, but anyways, we, we escaped with a win. Fantastic. Um, all right. Final game of the season, Tennessee. We This is a funny game to think about because um, the Texans didn't play Deshaun Watson. 
and started AJ McCarron. And AJ uh, was the first quarterback to score a opening drive touchdown for the Texans this season. Uh, the Texans were in this game all through the first quarter and then just decided not to play anymore, and the Titans won 35-14. Nope. They were moving the ball up and down against the Titans, and once the Titans realized that the Texans were going with about maybe a dozen plays, they were not opening up their playbook, they were able to shut them down. But those dozen plays, the first three times through it, they worked, and A.J. McCarron looked great. There's kind of rumors out there in the Twitter sphere that A.J. McCarron may be better than several starting quarterbacks in the league, and just maybe. It'll be interesting to see what if they bring him back and how much it'll cost to bring him back. But he looked pretty good. I'm, I'm not going to lie. He looked pretty good. He looked good, and um, it's funny because I think that A.J. McCarron in the right system with the right coach could be a serviceable starting quarterback. Um, like if I had to say, like if I had to say a quarterback that he would be from a performance standpoint, probably be Kirk Cousins. I think he could be Kirk, Kirk Cousins in the right offense. Um, the, but the problem is with the teams that are willing to pay AJ McCarron aren't typically the right offense and the right team. Um, I'm trying to even think, like, who really needs a quarterback outside of the teams that are going to draft one? Cincinnati's going to take Burrow. Miami needs a quarterback. That's not the right system. They'll probably take Tua. Um, Jacksonville could, but it looks like they're riding with Gardner. Who else needs a quarterback? The Chargers. The Chargers. I don't know if AJ would fit that scheme. They need they need mobility at quarterback with that offensive line. Um, I think he's I think he's back with us next year as our backup. Maybe the Raiders. Uh, wait, did he spend time with the Raiders before us? He did. Different right, coach wasn't though. He the, wasn't he the backup to Derek? He was. Not under Gruden. I didn't think it was under Gruden. Was Gruden last year only? Yes. Uh, that was his first year last year, right? Gruden. 2018 was his first year. So then, yeah. So then AJ was there. Was he? Okay. Because um, that's to me that's interesting that uh, Gruden let him walk, um, especially because I think that AJ McCarron actually does fit that system very, very good. And okay. Carr was. Ugh. Um, okay, so actually it was it was uh, Jack Del Rio. Yeah. Was it? So, okay. I don't know. Um, that's why we, we like having you guys here in the comments because you guys can keep us straight. Oh, no, never mind. It was Gruden. Yeah. So, or if I if I do Giovanni's, it's Gurdon. Um, so it's John Gurdon. Uh, <laughs> God, I love everybody tonight. Um, uh, all right. I think AJ could be on a team. I really do. I think you'd be on a team. But like, if if I was Kansas City, I would love to see. I would sign AJ McCarron as a backup to Mahomes. I think Andy Reid would be able to get the most out of, um, out of AJ McCarron if Mahomes went down. Fair enough. I don't know. All right. But enough. Enough. Who cares? It's a backup quarterback. We'll see. Uh, all right. So we end the season. Uh, what did we finish? We finished at, what, 10-6? 10-6. Yeah. 
ten and six. Ten and six. We we should have went we should have went twelve and four, but we went ten and six. If we would have went twelve and four, actually, if we would have would have went eleven and six, we would have had a first round bye in the playoffs. But we didn't. So. Imagine if we beat the Saints. We actually showed, we up the Saints. showed up against Panthers. the Panthers or the Broncos. There was three games that the Colts. The first game against the Colts. Or the first game against the Colts. Uh, any one of those games. Any one of them. Yeah. But because we didn't, we ended up playing the Buffalo Bills in the wild card round. Um, this is very recent, so we, we're probably not going. We're not going to dive too much into this. Uh, everybody knows what happened in the Buffalo game. Uh, one thing that I don't think people realize in the Buffalo game is that Deshaun Watson actually had a really, really good game. He was very accurate with the ball. He was 20 to 25, 247 yards, and then obviously uh, a, t- a rushing touchdown and a throwing touchdown. And then Carlos Hyde had one as well. Um, I mean, look, first half against the Bills, scary. Um, you know what's funny? Is if you if you were to flip the Chiefs and the and the Bills games, I would have expected the first half of the Chiefs game or the first quarter of the Chiefs game to go how the first quarter of the Bills game went, and then I would have expected our first quarter against the Chiefs to go that way against the Bills, but that's not what happened, and that just shows you how this league really is. Buffalo Bills have a very good defense. We've talked about the Buffalo Bills a lot. I like the Buffalo Bills. I like the way they're building. I think that they have a culture. I think they have an organization that's building well. I think they know where they're going and what they want to do. Um, and I, I think we, we just got lucky because we have a better quarterback than they do. Deshaun yeah, Watson is a superstar. They're going to be one of those teams. We're going to see them in the playoffs again. They're going to be annoying for the next couple of years. Uh, the Patriots may finally start to slip. And if I had to put money on it, I would say that the Bills will probably start to take will take advantage over it the next couple of years. But we'll oh see. God, I didn't hit record. No kidding. <laughs> I just was looking you, over. Like, oh, you just looked over. <laughs> yeah, I, I just looked over and I was like, um, "How much? How long have we been recording?" Oh, uh, we haven't. <laughs> We're up to an hour and two minutes on the show, too. <laughs> okay, great. I can't wait to rip this audio from the YouTube. That's going to be fun fun to figure out. Um, okay. Uh, so we beat the Bills. Fantastic. We, we all know what happened to the Chiefs. I really don't want to talk about that game anymore. Um, the, the goal of this is a therapy session to be able to put the 2019 Texan season uh, in the rearview mirror and look forward to 2020. I think the best way to end this recap is to really talk about the expectations going into the season. Um, and kind of put everything into it. So when you look at the team and how the offseason happened, um, I don't think that there were a ton of expectations for this team to to do much. Uh, People called the front office disorganized. Uh, They had no idea how they were building a team. Uh, Nobody expected them to do really much in the playoffs. Um, I look at at the season as a success. Now, most people would say, well, it's only a success for one team. Uh, at the end of the year, and I would agree with you. I would agree with that statement. But when I look at this team and I think about all the pieces that were added and how late the pieces were added, uh, the lack of training camps and OTAs and the the chemistry with the team that was missing, adding players in the middle of the season in Vernon Hargraves and Gary and Conley, uh, dealing with J.J. Watt's injury, I think that this team did what what they could. 
I think they did what they could do. Minus the collapse in Kansas City, which I don't think should be excused. Um, I think the team outperformed expectations. And I think if we would not have lost the way we did to the Chiefs, I don't think this fan base would feel the way they feel right now. I think if, if that would have been a game where we, you know, they milked a comeback and it wasn't so quick and we lost, on you know, with three minutes to go or something like that, I think this fan base as a whole would feel a lot better. But I think because of the motions that went through watching that game, I think that's, that's the last that's the last memory you have of the 2019 Houston Texans. And because of that, this team, this fan base is frustrated as hell with just how things happen. And I, I expect this team to be much better next season. And I expect OB to have this team ready to go. I really do. I think me and John, John's already on the, already is off the OB bandwagon. He's on the fire and let's get another coach in here. I am on the, this is the last season for me, for Bill O'Brien, as the head coach. Now, I say that because now he's a general manager, too. So what everybody needs to understand is the fact that because he's a GM now, there's a very good chance in the future that he steps down as coach and somebody else is brought in to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. I'm actually kind of hoping for that because he's shown that he's actually a pretty decent well, let's see how it goes this year. Right. Because last year he didn't have any GM for draft. Um, let's see how he does the draft. Let's see how he handles free agency. I don't want to crown him a good GM yet, but I do like the aggressiveness. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I mean, that's, that's what you like is the aggressiveness. Yeah, and I'm at the point where I've actually had a little bit – I've had self-reflecting on this, especially as we've done these recap shows. If you go back and you look at the beginning of the season – if you um, if you go back and you look at the beginning of the season, it's like, should I have moving goalposts? Goal if I, when we stated what our goals for the year were, what we would have, what we would consider a happy season, I said not embarrass ourselves against the Patriots and the Chiefs. And, you know, we ended up winning them. I said winning a game in the playoffs, we ended up doing that. I said that I would be satisfied with the season if we just made it to the second round of the playoffs, I said I'd be ecstatic with the season and I would even consider it perfect season was us making the AFC championship. But I said that I'd be satisfied with the season and I would say that Bill O'Brien won him, or earned himself another year by just making it to the second round of the playoffs. And, it's unfair of me to kind of move the goalposts. Granted, part of it is because of the way we lost to the Chiefs. That was a very, very, very painful loss. But I hate to say it, we have to put ourselves in um, – we have to put it in perspective on how we got to that position to even be playing the Chiefs. And considering the lack of moves made during the offseason prior to be taken over – considering the amount of pieces that ended up being very key pieces that he had to implement into the team and get them caught up to speed in a relatively short time. I guess I need to kind of chill out. I'm still mad as hell at him. All my criticisms I still believe are very valid and very fair. 
But it is kind of what it is. Like, Bill O'Brien is a great coach. Like, whether or not he's a great coach for us is up for debate. But I do deeply believe that once he gets fired from here, he's going to go to another organization, and we're all going to be pissing and moaning that we let him go. So I think this is a, I think this is a great way for us to um, end the podcast. My thoughts on O'Brien are this: I think I think he's a great coach. I really do. I think he has issues. I think every coach has issues, though. And I think we saw those issues a lot uh, in the playoffs. Uh, you, you know, it's funny when you only focus on one team during the regular season, it's very hard for you to understand what else is going on in the league. Uh, your focus is specifically on um, the Texans. So you're not paying attention to the coaching mistakes that happen throughout the league. And, and most of you would say, I don't really care. This is my team. That's fine. But what I'm saying is when you look at Kyle Shanahan in the Super Bowl, two minutes left, over two minutes left in the Super Bowl, and decided that um, – he wasn't going to take a timeout. He had three timeouts, didn't take a timeout, wasted an entire two minutes. That was a defining moment in the Super Bowl. In the Titans-Chiefs game, uh, there was something at Vrabel did. I forgot what it was. He did something. I don't know why I can't remember. But these coaches make these mental errors all the time. And I, I, I do think that for me to give Bill O'Brien a fair shake at head coach, I have never thought he has had the ability to have the players he believes he needs on this roster. And I think we saw that because he was so aggressive in the trade market to grab the, the players he was looking for. And I think another offseason of seeing him build this team and getting to the level that he believes he can, we can be at. Look, we have the most important piece that you need in this league to be successful in Deshaun Watson. With that being said, I think that um, I think Bill O'Brien can do it. Taylor brings up a good point. Who are you going to who are you going to hire over Bill O'Brien? I know everybody says Eric Bieniemy. It's so much easier to say than to type by the way. So like when you tweet Eric Bieniemy. <laughs> um, but um I think that uh, there's a reason he doesn't have a job as a head coach. You know who's always turned out OCs? Andy Reid. You know who's always the sauce to those OCs? Andy Reid. One of his OCs won uh, a Super Bowl before he did. I'm, I mean, I'm one, one, one of his OCs. Just How about saying. the other nine? How about the other nine? That's all I'm saying. I, I, I get it. Yes, Doug Peterson, great coach. It worked out. But how about the other guys that nobody talks about? Um, I just think that, and there's also a chance that maybe he's in the waiting for when Andy Reid steps away. Which would you rather have, a quarterback that you're familiar with and an offense you're familiar with with the players that you have, or go to a new, go to Cleveland, go to Miami, go to you know all these teams that nobody ever wants to really go to, and, and Freddie Kitchens gets hired, which should speak a lot to the Cleveland organization as a whole. Um, 
maybe he's in waiting for when Andy Reid steps away. I mean, Andy Reid now has done something he's never done in his career. It took him 20 years to do. And Texans fans expect Bill O'Brien to do it in six because Sean McVay got there, Doug Peterson got there, and Kyle Shanahan got there. Outside of that, it's all been the historic coaches. Tomlins, Belichick. Yes, Coobs got there, but Coobs got there off of a particular quarterback in defense. But I don't know. I just think that – I just don't think that the, the next coach is really there yet. Just my thoughts. I'm rolling yeah, with OB. I'm OB 2020. My argument to that is since 2000, if you don't get there within four years with your team, apparently you need to get you need to shake things up. Now, that's only about 19 years. I mean, it's not the largest sample size, but there may be something. And here's the thing about Bill O'Brien. I think that he's really good at finding role players. I think that since he's kind of taken over more of the personnel, like he's done a very good job of finding role players. But we've talked about it before, and I will still stand by this. He doesn't necessarily know how to to take advantage of players' strengths. But he knows how to – the way he crafts game plans, it's kind of to hide their weaknesses instead of taking advantage of their strengths. And with the type of quarterback that we have in Deshaun Watson, I'm not entirely sure that this is exactly the right mesh anymore. Because you – again, it goes back to – I've said it 100 times this year, and I'll probably say it another 1,000 times before he retires. Deshaun Watson is a better thrower than Mar Jackson. He's a better runner than Patrick Mahomes. He should be in an offense that takes advantage of that. Instead, he's in an offense that relies more on his on his ability to throw, which, I mean, it, it, it's and obviously his ability to throw and escape has made him an MVP candidate. Like, it's made him a top-tier quarterback in the league. But I don't necessarily think that the offense really, truly takes advantage of his skill set at this point in his life. I think that if Bill O'Brien was his coach when he was in his late 20s, early 30s, that would be a better match than it is currently when when Deshaun is such an – we've got to take, care, take advantage of his athleticism while we can. And maybe a lot of the stuff that Bill O'Brien is teaching him causes him to slow down sometimes. Just maybe. I mean, there's got to be a reason why Deshaun has the ability to call the play at the line, and he'll be the one that calls the, the run game, the run play, run after run after run. The defenses are able to bait him into doing that. There's got to be something there. There's got to be some sort of disconnect. And maybe you're right. Maybe that it's just another year that he needs for everything to kind of click and speed up with him and Bill O'Brien and why hit the reset button and bring somebody in with a whole new system. And that's a fair point, and that's probably the strongest argument for keeping O'Brien. But at this point, I don't know. I just think that there might be another style of offense that can kind of take advantage of all Deshaun's skills, not just some of them. 
I just want to see, did you think that the screen uh, timed out a little bit? Did you I did. <laughs> yes, that was the goal. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying, but I also think that the fact that there, there's a balance, right, that needs to be found with, with Deshaun and his running ability and and his passing ability. My my biggest fear is that we no definitely. I don't want to I don't want to go Lamar Jackson. It's it's so funny. People are so caught up in the success of certain quarterbacks and offenses in this league. Lamar Jackson. And I'm not saying you. I'm just saying people in general. I know you know the difference. But Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson are two totally different quarterbacks. You can't run Deshaun Watson the way you run Lamar Jackson. Um, I think there's a balance, and I do think that we need to find that balance. But I also think that um, what you, what Bill O'Brien's doing is grooming him to not rely on that aspect of his game and be able to sit in the pocket and pick a defense apart. That's what Bill O'Brien's always wanted in a quarterback. And I think that he likes the aspect of Deshaun being able to do it. But I don't think he wants him to think that that's something he'll have to rely on. And especially with the first, his rookie season and the second season, given our, our, our offensive line being so bad, I think Deshaun knew that he was going to have to be very mobile to be able to stand up and be able to make the throws. And I think this season it was an adjustment between understanding, okay, these last two years were a little different than this season. I have a little bit more time to throw. I can be a little bit more methodical. And I think Deshaun's trying to find that balance himself. Um, but well, ultimately what it comes down to is one of the one of the things about Bill O'Brien's offense, the Patriots style offense, is they don't run a lot of play action, they don't run a lot of moving pockets because the quarterback has the most options this way. There's the most routes that are able to be put in play. They're able to see the defense in the best way. With Deshaun Watson, his rookie year, he showed the most talent. He is one of the best ball handlers in the league, and that's pulling off a play-action pass, and he has shown the ability to go roll out to either the right or the left, um, and to bootleg very, very successfully. When I talk about taking advantage of both his running style and his ability to pass, I'm talking about more along the line of a Shanahan-style offense, a Kubiak-style offense with the bootlegs, with the play-actions that Bill O'Brien has called less and less of, even though when he does call them, we have some of the most they're some of the most positive plays in the entire NFL. Deshaun Watson on play action is one of the most successful plays in the entire NFL, but because it does not fit the philosophy behind the offense, we don't call it that often. Because at that point, it limits what the offense can actually do when you call a play action. No, fair. Like I said, it's a balance. I think, and, and I think Bill O'Brien's shown the ability to be able to scheme up those types of plays. He's done it time and time again. It's just not consistent enough for people to be happy. Um, but I do think that he needs to, um, one, and definitely Giovanni, he needs to implement more play action as Deshaun Watson is a better play, probably the best play action quarterback in the league. And a lot of that has to do with his hands um, but and his ball security. But at the same time, I think that he just needs to find a balance between the running and the throwing. And the last thing I want is Deshaun to – to get her running the ball, but that's a risk that you, you have taken. I know a lot of people thought that that should have been that should have been something that happened in the Kubiak. I mean, in the Kansas City game, is we should have unloaded Deshaun and we should have just let him go. And maybe it would have been different, but maybe he would have gotten hurt too. Maybe he would have torn his ACL again, and then maybe 
we wouldn't be in this position. Right, and I don't want him to get hit, and I'm not talking about turning him into Lamar Jackson where he's essentially running a a glorified wishbone. I'm talking about taking advantage of his mobility, taking advantage of... I agree. And we're saying the same thing. We're saying the same thing. And I just, I don't, I think that it's just a philosophy of the Bill O'Brien offense or the Patriots, Patriots offense. It's just one of those things that when Watson gets more mature in the league, I think that he would be better for this offense. It's not that I don't think that he's capable of running the offense. I just think that we probably wasted a year of his life where he could have been used as more of a mobile quarterback and kept the offenses or kept defenses unbalanced. And it was essentially wasted because Bill O'Brien is so – his philosophy is solid. It's like I'm not trying to trash it. I don't think that it's one of those – I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, Bill O'Brien's not really a genius. No, he actually really is. Like you look at the route design. You look at the play designs. Like he does do a really good job with our offense. However, again, and this is – it's something that I've kind of floated out there and I I need to actually write it down and put it on paper. I think Bill O'Brien, as a coach, it's one of his best qualities and it's one of his biggest weaknesses, is he's great at hiding what his players cannot do. But I do not think that he is the best at taking advantage of their skill sets and when they have unusual skill sets. We talked about it with Matthew. We've talked about it with um, talked about it with Clowney at length. And you can also kind of tell when somebody's a Bill O'Brien guy, uh, Bill O'Brien guy because they'll buy into a system, and even though they're going to have to sacrifice their own stats and their own glories and whatnot, and they buy into a system, and he loves them for it. But as a coach, he should turn around and be able to spotlight those abilities that are not typically spotlight in the spotlight with his offense or his defense. I think that you're 100 percent correct. Um, I think we're saying the same exact thing. I, I, I think that it's just a balancing thing. Um, all right, uh, draft day event uh, for day two of the draft. Since we don't have a day one pick, uh, we're in the works of locking down the venue now. Um, still have one player confirmed. Should know more this week about the other two players potentially. Uh, make sure you guys go check out the Jalen Strong interview on all podcast platforms. It's also on YouTube somewhere. It's just not me and Jalen. Um, make sure you guys, I've always wanted to say this, and now I guess I can. Uh, make sure you guys hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube and tell a friend about us. Leave us a review. Leave some comments um, on podcasts. Make sure you guys go and leave reviews and tell some friends about us. Uh, we are the number one Texans podcast for a reason. Uh, it's because we don't give you the AM radio uh, bullshit that you guys are hearing on a daily basis. I'm um, actually loving the live shows now with the uh, the scrolling feed. I do. This has been cool. Yeah, no, this has been great. I, I like it, and I can't wait till we continue to get more people to build the platform. Um, thank you, Giovanni and Taylor, for, for staying on uh, during the stream. Uh, we'll be here every either Monday or Tuesday. Um, outside of that, I hope you guys all have a great Valentine's Day. Make sure you make that woman feel special uh, that is in your life or man that is in your life or your boyfriend or husband or whoever it is that you're dating, whatever it would be. Make sure that they feel special that day. I know I'm going to do that. Hit the click like and subscribe button. I am Young Ari Gold signing off for Texans Unfiltered. We will catch you guys next week.
<laughs> Eric. Are we still live? We are still live. I was waiting for the uh, the credits. Oh, yeah, hold on. Here we go. <laughs> Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered? We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. We're live. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Houston FB Pod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.texansunfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Okay, now we're done, guys. We'll see you guys next week.